Thanks, Adrienne and the team. Children off to Kids for Christ, is that right? Yep, heading down, that's okay. Thank you, mums and dads. While they're heading off to um, Kids for Christ, just want to update you on some prayer, some answers to prayer. Let me read you a text and some of the folk that are on the text prayer chain would have uh, seen this uh, during the week. This is regarding Fred Whiting, Fred and Dale Whiting. Um, this is the text that I received on Friday night. Good evening, dear friends. Fred is in ICU after four hours of surgery. Removed all of his lower and half of his upper left lung. So he has a quarter of a left, of a left lung left. Left lung left. Um, he looks good and is being well cared for. Thank you all for your loving prayers as he has a long way to go. When he saw me, he said he mustn't be in heaven yet. <laughs> She's got a big smiley face next to that. And then I asked her today how he's going. She said, please pray for no complications, no infection, an easing of pain and a good report this week. Thank you so much for your ongoing prayer cover. So let's do that right now. Father, we thank you for Fred and for Dell. Thank you most of all that they love you and have loved you for many years. Thank you, Father, that you've proven yourself, not that you needed to, but you've proven yourself faithful uh, many times for them throughout those years. And Lord, this is another time that they're trusting you and we are trusting you on their behalf to bring uh, Fred through this uh, uh, surgery well. Father, we pray for the staff at Townsville Martyr Hospital that, Lord, that, that they'll be able to provide that excellent care that Fred needs. Lord, we pray that, that there'll be no complications. We pray that there'll be no infection. We pray that, that the pain will be managed well. And most of all, Father, that he'll, he'll regain his strength. Lord, we thank you for watching him so, over him so far with the skill of the surgeon and the medical staff during the operation. We pray that will continue and that we'll hear good news of his recovery and restoration back to uh, regular life. We know it's going to take some time, Father, but we commit them to you at this time. Pray for their family as well as uh, they've been concerned for Fred and ask that your peace and your comfort will be with them and they'll be excited to see uh, Fred up and walking again in answer to prayer. Lord, we pray for others in our fellowship that are not well at the moment. We pray for wisdom as they go to see their GPs and specialists that, Father, that the uh, cause of the illnesses will be discovered that the uh, um, ability to uh, uh, address those illnesses will be found, Father, and we'll see your hand at work through that as well. But we also pray for folk in our church that are going through difficult times in relationships. Father, uh, we know that often, always, uh, often our parents and children are not the easiest times, but we thank you that you watch over our families. We pray that you'll guard them, Lord, that the evil one won't have any sway, won't have any impact because you are the focus of our family. Father, we pray for those that are uh, on their own, for single parents and single people. And we ask, Lord, you'll be their comfort, their friend, so that they won't be alone. Father, we thank you too for the freedom we have to gather like this today, to sing those songs of worship to you, to fellowship with one another and to hear your word. And we pray that our hearts and our minds will be ready for what you have to say through your word to us today, that we won't just take it in, but we'll live it out in obedience to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some exciting news. Um, someone who's just had three quarters of the lung removed still has a humour, a sense of humour. Um, I can't say that I felt the same way after my operation. Just uh, one other, a couple of things about uh, morning tea, which I forgot to run past Renee, wherever she is, somewhere. Uh, okay. Um, the folk that are in the hall, this is a message for you. 
once the service is finished, could you make some space and put those three tables out in the middle of the hall? I'm sure they got that. And folk that are on uh, Zoom this morning, you can grab your tea and coffee or whatever and have your morning tea at home in your pyjamas or however else you want to do it. Um, Thank you to Renee and thank you to all those that have cooked already and thank you in advance to those that are going to serve. So um, I trust that it's not about the food. It's not about the coffee or the tea. It's not about the uh, slice or the biscuit. It's about that extended time of fellowship that we can have with one another and that's why we're going down this track this morning and hopefully in, in weeks to come as well. Today is the final in a series of three messages on uh, um, 21 days of prayer for revival. Uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jason Elmsmore on the video shared with us his heart, his passion to see people praying, see people in the churches praying, praying for our communities, our families, our loved ones, our churches. And uh, last week we looked at um, interceding uh, for people. And this morning I want to look at prayer for the harvest. How do we pray for the harvest that's spoken about in God's word? Reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Sorry it's so small for folk here in the auditorium. Tried to adjust it, but they did send some, uh, a, uh, a PowerPoint through which was a little bit hard to adjust. So I'll read it out. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm sure that's a familiar passage for many of us, the words that Jesus gave to his disciples that day. Now, I don't know about you, but how are you around crowds? You know, um, my daughter and son-in-law live in Melbourne and so to see the pictures of some of the main streets in the CBD in Melbourne ghost town-like was very rare because even though crowds don't bother me that much, in my visits to Melbourne, I uh, feel suffocated with the numbers of people that are often in the street uh, pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID. Crowds sometimes make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, I've preached in churches of five people. I've preached in churches of 500 people. But I'm not sure how I'd go preaching in a church of 5,000 people. I guess the, the, the scriptures don't change, so it would be my response to the crowd that would change. Why do I feel uncomfortable in crowds sometimes? Because I actually like my own space. Anybody like that? You like your own space? You know, I'd much prefer to walking down the crowded streets of Melbourne to be in the shed working on my project by myself. And uh, uh, I, even though I, I do tend to be a bit of an extrovert, I do like that private space. Anybody here who likes crowds? Some people? Okay. In, uh, in the years that we were on the Sunshine Coast at Yandina, there was a, a movement uh, 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 around the country called uh, Awakening, uh, Awakening Easter, I think it was, or Re- Regaining Easter or something like that, if you're around. And we had the privilege of going down to what was called Lang Park in those days. And uh, there were over 50,000 
followers of Jesus crowded into Lang Park and our two girls, which were primary school age girls, had never been amongst that many Christian people before and it was a, a, an amazing experience for everybody. So a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious, but it was amazing. So some people like crowds, but the problem with crowds is that they take up a lot of space. And not only that, they get in my space. Um, they take up resources. You know, they, uh, crowds are generally messy and often disorganised as well. For some people, crowds can be scary. Now, I've heard this a few times lately as, we've, as the COVID restrictions have been released. Even in our town, in our region, somebody told me that um, uh, once we come out of that two weeks of wearing masks and all that sort of stuff and, and isolating as much as possible, they went down to Cairns Central and, uh, and they were overwhelmed by the crowds. Now, I can't imagine Cairns Central being overly crowded, but, but they, there was this nervous anxiety about being out in a, uh, a larger space with more people uh, with the whole COVID thing hanging over their head. It was a bit nerve-wracking for them. I think crowds can um, be a bit threatening to us because they make us feel uncomfortable. Why am I talking about crowds? Well, Jesus mentioned the crowds in that passage. And believe it or not, Queensland is a really popular place to live. Have you noticed that? I've noticed it. Uh, so many people from southern states moving into Queensland. The research suggests that uh, 25,000 people have moved to Queensland during the last financial year. Uh, and they reckon that the rate of interstate migration is 90% above what the last decade. So it's a great place to live. We certainly noticed it when we were travelling, the number of uh, caravans with uh, number plates on from other places, uh, people coming up and enjoying our, our state. You may have noticed it in the uh, number of places for rent up here. Anybody notice all those places for rent? No, because they're very rare, because lots of people are moving up and renting up here. Populations increased in our cities as well as our regional centres and there's a lot of people moving from interstate. The forecast is, dare I say sadly, is that it's going to continue to grow. So infrastructure has to deal with that. It has to expand, as will new housing. I went to the car park the other day to go shopping at IGA. It was hard to find a car park space. Um, Main Street is nearly hopeless. Sorry, Main Street parking is nearly hopeless. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think it's getting busier, even in our town of Atherton. There were crowds of people at Woolies the other day. And I've noticed driving past the school drop-off zones, there's lots and lots of cars where people are dropping off children for school. The crowds are here. We have to make a choice about the crowds. We can't ignore them, but we need to recognise how we're going to respond to a crowd just like Jesus did. Sometimes it's easy to respond with uh, resentment and annoyance, you know, can't find a car park space at IGA. All these people want to come here at the same time as I do. Or all these um, out-of-state number plates are taking up the car parking spaces. How did Jesus respond when he saw the crowds? In verse 36, it says there that he responded with compassion. When he saw the crowds, he responded with compassion. 
Now, the crowds in those days are much the same as the crowds in our days. They took up limited resources. Um, they still needed somewhere to live. They still needed food. They still needed somewhere to park their mules and camels. And uh, it was a bit of a dusty, messy time when there was lots of crowds around. The Greek word or the background to the Greek word for crowds is a disorganised mob of people or a rabble of humanity. Anybody ever been there? I've been in some of those crowds. And I'm sure that the locals of Jesus' day resented the crowds as much as we might. Why? Well, they probably trampled the grass, they made dust, they took up space and in general they're a nuisance. Crowds created problems in Jesus' day just like they do in our day. And sadly, crowds, you'll notice this this in the media, sadly, crowds become the target for um, criticism, uh, for uh, political gain, all those sort of things. But what did Jesus do with those crowds? He didn't judge them. What did he do? He saw the crowds. What did that mean? When Jesus looked out on those people there, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. I believe because he wasn't looking at the crowd, he was looking at the individuals. When we see a crowd, do we just get overwhelmed by the numbers or do we actually look at the eyes of the people that might be walking down Collins Street towards us in Melbourne? Do we look at the faces? Do we see the uh, worried faces or do we see the smiling faces? Or do we just see the mass of humanity in a crowd? I believe Jesus saw them not as a mass, but as individuals. And because of that, he felt something for them. He had compassion on them. This uh, Greek word for compassion is interesting. Let me see if I can say it. It says, splanknisomai. How's that? Splanknisomai. Literally, it means moved in the bowels. Well, the, the Greeks... The Greeks felt that the seat of emotions wasn't the heart like we felt. It was the the gut or the bowels and I can identify with that over the last few weeks. Um, We say we love someone from the heart but I think it would be really hard to say I love you from the bottom of my bowels. (laughs) We won't go there. But Jesus loved them till it hurt. Does that make sense? He loved them from his gut, from his bowels, till it hurt. Now, it wasn't a case of what he'd eaten, what he'd eaten the meal before. It was a case of his deep emotions towards that crowd, not as a whole, but because he saw them individually. I wonder how, if we've ever been moved to that point of physical pain because of our care for someone or because of our inability to care for someone, I'll give you an example. Um, a week or so ago, there was an accident in the main street, an accident outside the Woolworths garage. Uh, a car was coming out of the garage, didn't realise that the truck carrying the car also had a car on a trailer behind it, came out and smashed into the car on the trailer. I saw it all happen. I was across the road at Bunnings. Saw it all happen. And I felt that pain in the gut. It wasn't because of my operation. It was because I didn't know what to do. What could I do in that situation? Uh, immediately went to walk across the road but there was already a group of other people over there so I got on the phone, rang triple zero and reported it. And that was all I felt I could do but there was this this gut reaction, if you like, 
to the fear of somebody being hurt in that accident. The crowds were a pain to Jesus. They were a pain, we would, we would call it a heart pain, but his was that pain of his emotions because he didn't despise them but because he loved the individuals that made up that crowd. He did not hate the crowd but he hated the situation that those people were in. What was their situation? He saw something. He saw their desperate need. He didn't resent them. He saw their desperate need. He felt sick in his stomach. He saw their desperate need. Verse 36 goes on to say he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their dysfunction. He saw their brokenness. He saw their selfishness. He saw their addictions. He saw their self-defeating behaviour. All those things he saw. He probably saw their illnesses. He probably saw their diseases. He saw the consequences of their own sin and the sin of others. He saw through the bravado and the stoicism, I'll be all right. She'll be right, mate. Oh, did they say that in Israel that day? Anyhow, at least that today. He saw through their hypocrisy and their religiosity. He saw their lostness and he saw their insecurity. That's what he saw in that crowd, not just the mass of the people. He saw the individuals. They were harassed and helpless. What does that mean? The Greek background to that word is that they were distressed. They, they were worried. They're, they're upset. And the helpless aspect is like being in a, a, bo- a boat on the ocean with no power being tossed and flung around by the waves. So when Jesus looked at that crowd, he didn't see the whole crowd. He saw the individuals. And he saw them as hopeless and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean to us? I don't know, most of us aren't sheep people. But a sheep without a shepherd means that you're handing over the sheep to the predators. Doesn't it? There's no shepherd there to guard the sheep. The predators can have their way. And I suspect that those shepherdless sheep that Jesus was looking at were as good as dead because they had no relationship with the one true God. He saw the immediate plight. He saw the desperate need, certainly. He saw their immediate plight. Oh, jumped ahead. They were at the mercy of the world. They were slaves to their own sinfulness. They were subject to the torments of the devil and his demons and disease. He saw all that. How did he see that? He's the son of God. He's able to see that. But he also saw the ultimate future for those crowds. What was their ultimate future? The next words that he spoke to the disciples were to address their ultimate future, the the crowd's ultimate future. Their ultimate future was eternal separation from a loving God. Their ultimate future was judgment unless they reconciled with a loving God. That's what Jesus saw. So what direction did he give to the disciples that day? He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. He was looking at the crowd. When you walk down a crowded street or in a crowded shopping centre, do you ever wonder how many of these people are followers of Jesus? I do. Often I wonder how many of these people believe the same thing about Jesus that I do. And sadly, the other question is there, 
how many don't. Because I know, and the Bible tells us, that they will face eternal judgment, eternal separation from God, unless they come to that place where they willingly choose to surrender their lives to Jesus. Now, when you look at the harvest, we've got a few farmers here and you love to plant uh, the seed, see the crop grow, and then ultimately the harvest comes in. Why do you like the harvest? You get paid. Yes, absolutely. The dollars come in and you start to pay off all the bills that you've had in the meantime. And certainly that's true for today. We, we think that the harvest is a positive thing, don't we? We think that once the crop is good, the harvest is ripe and we can harvest it. But in the Old Testament, that wasn't the intention of that metaphor of harvesting. In the Old Testament, it was a very uh, negative form. It was a judgment to bring something to the harvest. It offers God's judgment. And this is one of the passages. It says in Isaiah, God speaking to the people of Israel, because you have turned from God, who, from the God who can save you, you have forgotten the rock who, you can, who can hide you. Your only harvest will be a load of grief and unrelieved pain. <coughs> Pardon me. That's not a good harvest, is it? Grief and unrelieved pain. So what they sowed was disobedience to God. What they harvested was grief and unrelieved pain. And again in Joel, the prophet Joel says this, Swing the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Again, speaking about the people of God. They had rejected the one true God to the point where their harvest was considered wickedness. We don't want that. Jesus had compassion on the crowds, not because of their immediate problems, but he saw the reality of their eternal punishment that was coming if they did not respond to a saving relationship with the one true God. He saw their desperate need to be saved. Do people have that same desperate need today? Yes, they do. Jesus responded to the needs of the crowd and he did all he could do to help them. He wanted to see them saved. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaim the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. He saw with his eyes, was moved in his heart and responded with his hands. He was moved to action. His response wasn't academic, it was practical. It was hands-on. His emotional feelings towards the crowd translated into action and be doing that as he travelled from town to town. He went to where the people were. He didn't say, come to us. He went to where the people were. He got involved. He healed people. He gave practical assistance to people in need. He gave authority to his disciples to drive out evil spirits and to heal the sick. Jesus did practical things to help people with their felt needs and their immediate needs. More importantly, he addressed their ultimate their spiritual needs. What did Jesus teach about? He talked about spiritual realities. He talked about the good news of the kingdom. That good news is the same today. It hasn't changed. God's rule is broken into this world in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. People need to turn around and put their trust in Jesus to receive the life of God that he offers to them. 
This is the message that the followers of Jesus have continued to proclaim for the last couple of thousand years. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 to 43 says this, He commanded us to preach the gospel, preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus cared for people practically. But he just didn't leave it at that. He addressed not only the symptoms, but he addressed the cause of humanity's problem, sin and rebellion against God. His compassion and love for humanity led him to action. And the ultimate action we know was for him to die on the cross. So what does Jesus ask of us? What does Jesus ask of us that he asked of the disciples? He calls us to continue his mission. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. With so many lives hanging in the balance, there's a real sense of urgency to Jesus' words even today. Do you realise that when you see the crowds, it's a life and death situation? There's some people in that crowd that will live for eternity because they know Jesus. There are other people that will die and have a crisis eternity because they don't know Jesus. God's means of bringing and reaching people is to use other people to share the good news of Jesus. It's not a mechanised salvation. You can't just push a button and people will believe. God chooses to use us to share the good news of of Jesus with people around about us. But Jesus recognised that there was a labour shortage in his day. It wasn't happening as much as it could have been. So he said to the disciples, pray, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. I was so impacted by that verse, it'd have to be 15 to 20 years ago when I heard a preacher preaching it. Uh, It was probably at the beginning of mobile phone days. Maybe I've had one a bit longer than that, I can't remember. One of the things I did after I heard that was to um, set a reminder at 9.37 every morning, a reminder goes off on my phone and it says, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest. It's a reminder for me to pray just as Jesus asked the disciples to pray. The thing is that in praying that, the Lord often says to me, you're the answer to the prayer. You've prayed that, uh, that, that workers will be sent out in the harvest, you are part of the answer to that prayer. Are you prepared to go and tell people the good news about Jesus? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out people. He didn't ask me to go, he asked me to pray. And isn't that what we've been talking about these last few weeks? 21 days of prayer for revival. I think when we pray and ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest, often he'll remind us that we're part of the answer. And that's revival when we hear that. I trust that you are praying that God will send out workers into the harvest. And that word send out is an interesting word. It means to compel or to drive or to expel. It's a strong word. It's not just a passive word. With our prayer, I believe God will require our involvement. With our prayer, God will require our involvement. Do you remember 
Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah, the prophet, spent time in God's presence and when God asked the question, who would go and represent him, Isaiah's response was, here I am, Lord, send me. Our prayer for the harvest involves us more than just the offering of the prayer. Lord, send out workers into the harvest. Maybe we need to respond, Lord, here am I, send me. What do we need to pray for? Secondly, we need to pray for the compassion of Jesus to overcome our prejudices, our laziness, our disinterest, our selfishness and our fear. And often that's the way we feel in a crowd. God will change us. He'll answer our prayers. My prayer, my prayer is that we will pray for revival. Yes, we'll pray that the compassion of Jesus would overcome us. We'll pray that workers will get sent out into the community. But my prayer is that we will see with our eyes, feel with our hearts, act with our hands and fall on our knees in faith-filled prayer. Will you join me? What's God saying to you today? Let's pray. Father, sometimes we erect barriers that say, I will go so far, Lord, but that's, that's all. And we know that, Father, you're in the business of breaking down those barriers. Sometimes we will say things like, oh, I couldn't talk to that person or I couldn't uh, have a couple with that person. I don't even like that person. And yet, Father, Jesus saw each individual in the crowd. He had compassion on them. He asked us to do the same. Lord, as we pray that you'll send out workers in the harvest, I pray that our response will be, here am I, Lord send me. Father, we pray for those crowds around us. We think of the people that we have uh, regular contact with daily and throughout each week, uh, people who don't yet know Jesus. We pray, Father, that their hearts will be prepared for when they hear the good news of Jesus, whether it's from our lips or somebody else that, that follows Jesus, that, Lord, that they will willingly surrender to your control, confess sin and know the freedom that comes and the forgiveness that comes because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Father, may we be the answer to our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dave.